There's a 12-year-old boy who was headed to his uh, first orthodontist appointment. He was pretty nervous about how all this thing was going to work. So he and his mom were sitting down in the foyer, and they were filling out the typical questionnaire, and he was thinking in the back of his mind, I really need to say something to impress the dentist. I'm nervous. And so his mom was asking him questions, and she got to the point where it asked about his hobbies. He says, son, well, what are your hobbies? And he, she, he said, he thought for a little bit, and he said, uh, well, swimming. Oh, and flossing. <laughs> now, the second one probably wasn't true. Um, but that little boy's no different than, than we are. We always try to purport, pur- portray ourselves to others as better than we really are. But we also know that deep down inside, there's a truth, and sometimes that truth is unsettling to us. And many times, in order to avoid the discomfort, we compare ourselves to others. We get really good at making ourselves look better by finding someone who's just a little bit worse than we are. So in the end of the day, we determine we're really not all that bad, especially if we can do just enough good to outweigh some of the things that we've done wrong. But the Bible actually has a term it uses to describe those kind of people. It calls it self-righteous. These are people who independently determined themselves to be righteous. And very often, these are some of the most religious people that you see spoken of in Scripture. They seem to be doing all the right things, but here's the bad news. There is no stronger condemnation in all of Scripture than the words God speaks to those who are self-righteous. Listen to what Jesus says. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 27. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. These are the self-righteous religious leaders of his day. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's pretty strong, isn't it? But I want you to compare that to the words Jesus speaks to the woman who's caught in adultery, and you tell me, if there's a difference between the two. This is in John chapter 8, verse 10, and it says this, straightening up, Jesus said to her, this woman caught in adultery, woman, where are they, those who were condemning her? He said, "Did did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from here and sin no more. Now, this is a drastic difference, isn't it? (laughs) Full of dead man's bones versus then I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. There's quite a difference, isn't there? And here's why. Those who are self-righteous will never see their need for a Savior. It is the sinner who is most open to his mercy. 
fact, I would go so far as to say, if you were to compare the Pharisee and the woman caught in adultery, it is the, it is the woman who is caught in adultery who is closest to entering the kingdom of God. Because the only way to experience God's forgiveness is to be honest about your sin. Redemption is only possible when we pursue a profound honesty with God and a true and humble transparency with one another. Why Jesus, when he's speaking on the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why do you hunger and thirst? You hunger and thirst because you desire something you don't currently possess that you know you need. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you shall be satisfied. Because he wants us to understand that we all need Jesus to provide for us what we do not possess on our own. And what we need most is righteousness. Because we do not possess it on our own. So if you would turn to Romans chapter 2, and let's look at where we left off last in Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul writing says, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Now, I want you to notice a shift here from where we were last week, because last week the story was about them. This week, the story is about you or us. In fact, if you want to glance over to chapter 1, verse 20, at the very end, Paul says, they were without excuse. And then read again in chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, you are without excuse. And that's because we are so inclined to acquit ourselves, to declare ourselves innocent in comparison with other people. Maybe last week, in fact, you listened to that list of sins that Paul goes through in chapter 1 as he closes out that chapter and you said to yourself, well, I know that that's not true of me. None of those apply. I'm not filled with wickedness or greed or evil. And I'm certainly not practicing any lifestyle of immorality. So in comparison to people like that, I'm really doing okay. But Paul wants us to understand that just because you look good doesn't mean you are good. Especially if we pass judgment on other people while simultaneously ignoring our own sin. Justifying our own behavior by condemning someone who happens to be, in our opinion, just a little bit worse than we are. But here's the key. God says we don't have the right to determine our own innocence. Because as Paul explains in verse 3, we're judging others even though we are just as guilty. 
And here's where you might pull out your list again and say, well, no, that's not true. Again, I'm not guilty of of greed or evil or or practicing immorality. See, it's on my list. I'm, I'm good. Well, if you would, I do want you to turn to this passage. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. In this section of Scripture, Matthew is recording Jesus' comments to a crowd where he's saying to them, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And in this section, what Jesus is trying to do is expose the hidden sin that is in all of our hearts. So in chapter 5, verse 21, he says this, You've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. What Jesus is saying here is underneath the sin of murder is the sin of hatred. Before taking someone's life, you have to disregard their human dignity. You have to diminish their their value and worth as someone created in the image of God. But we can do those same things without ever taking someone's life. I mean, after all, isn't that the heart of racism? diminishing the value of someone else in the eyes of God by comparing it to your somehow superior worth and value? What about criticism or even gossip? You see, it happens every time we pridefully elevate our worth over the inherent value and worth of someone else. The sin of murder is obvious, but the sin of pride is what's hiding underneath. And that's true for all of us. Look at how he continues in verse 27. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We all know that marriage is a covenant commitment. It's a promise to forsake all others as long as you both shall live. So adultery is a decision to break that promise in the pursuit of selfish pleasure. And Jesus is saying, look, lust does the very same thing. It's looking at something that does not belong to you with the desire to fulfill your own selfish pleasures at their expense. And I would go on to say, and you can lust over a lot more than just another woman or another man. You can lust over someone's car. You can lust over someone's success and wealth and prosperity. See, adultery is an obvious sin, but hidden underneath that is the sin of lust. And that's true for all of us. See, God doesn't just judge what is obvious. He sees what is hidden. Look again at verse 4 in our passage, because this is really key. It says in verse 4, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? To to think lightly is to look with contempt or to presume. Here's the idea of standing in judgment of others 
while ignoring God's kindness to you. This is the essence of self-righteous pride. It's the person who's glad to receive mercy, but not so willing to show mercy. Paul says it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. What he's trying to tell us here is that we don't repent out of fear of God's judgment. We repent out of gratitude for God's grace. We acknowledge our sin. We turn to God for his forgiveness. And as he says, a patient and loving God, as we know, who sent his son to pay the penalty for our sin. But here's the the key, and I want you to understand the difference here, because those who are self-righteous read this completely different. They see the kindness of God as evidence of his approval. They see Jesus on the cross, and they say, well, that was for them, but not for me. Instead of accepting Christ's forgiveness for their sin, they depend on their good works to gain God's acceptance. The self-righteous are quick to condemn others while ignoring their own sin. Look at how Paul continues in verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey his truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also for the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. See, Paul wants us to understand in this section that, that we have hearts that are inclined to rebel. He says that we have stubborn and unrepentant hearts, right? Jeremiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, would agree. He says that our heart is more deceitful than anything else and desperately sick. It's deceitful because it tells us that we're doing okay and we're really not. It's deceitful because we stand in judgment of other people while ignoring our own sin. But Paul says, the more we ignore our sin, the more we are storing up God's wrath against our sin. Because we are not going to be judged based on the standard that we set for ourselves. We will be judged based on what God says is true. Paul says, God will render to each person according to his deeds. And what this is saying here is that we will be judged by our deeds, not saved by our deeds. Because what we do says something about what we believe. And to explain what he means, Paul gives examples from two different groups. First are those who are doing good, as he describes, with a heart set on glory and honor and immortality. In other words, instead of being motivated for the selfish gain of what exists in this world, They are looking for an eternal reward 
the, the place where the, the life everlasting is found. They're looking beyond the personal benefit of the moment to something that is good and honorable from God's point of view. They are seeking good deeds that bring glory and honor to God because they understand it's not all about them. Now, compare that to the second group that Paul describes in verse 8 as selfishly ambitious. These are people who are looking for their reward right now. Even if they have cut corners or bend the rules a little bit. Selfishly seeking their own glory, interested in their own fulfillment. If it feels good, do it, because whatever is worth doing is worth doing good right now, because right now is all that matters. But I want you to know what is happening in their soul. Paul says, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul who does evil. And I want to just pause here and tell you, I think this is good news. I think this is a gift because this is what is, I would call, conviction. There's something inside of the person as they are making wrong choices that is telling them, you know, there's something that just doesn't feel right about this. But here's the other reality. The more we ignore that conviction, the harder our heart becomes. And over time, our heart becomes so callous to God's conviction that we start ignoring his standard and start making our own rules. But here's the key. At the judgment, God will reveal what we have worked so hard to hide. He exposes what we have willfully ignored. You see, God doesn't just observe our actions. He judges our heart. And since we are often blind to our own sin because of those sick and desperate hearts, I think we need to listen to his point of view, to what he has to say. Because as Paul explains, God doesn't play games. There, there is no partiality in his judgment. He can't be fooled or manipulated or coerced. But he is always, always, always fair and just. Look at how he continues in verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, bearing witness in their thoughts, alternately accusing or else defending them. In other words, knowing the difference between right and wrong. On that day, when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. See, all throughout this passage, Paul has been speaking to both Jew and Gentile, because either group can be self-righteous. Ultimately, God judges what's in our heart and not whether we follow the rules. In fact, with or without the law, we all are guilty. 
Every one of us are guilty of sin. Paul starts with those who do not have the law. These are the Gentiles, right? People who are outside the experience of God's chosen people, Israel. Paul describes this group in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, when he says, Remember, you were once separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, without God and without hope in the world. See, the Gentiles didn't grow up with the Old Testament Scripture. They didn't hear the message of the prophets or the promise of the Messiah. But even the Gentiles knew, without the law, that murder was wrong and that theft was not a good idea. Paul says in verse 14, even though they don't have the law, they instinctively do the things on the law. And he explains why. He says, because the law was written in their hearts. In other words, God created humanity with a conscience that is able to discern right and wrong. And everyone who is honest with themselves knows they've sinned. In fact, let me just ask the question. Is there anybody here this morning, so we'll just clear this up, anybody here this morning who has never sinned, who just has lived perfect life, no mistakes, and all is good? Okay, perfect. So then what this just told us is that everything Paul is trying to tell us is absolutely true from our very own experience. We have all had a divinely ordained conscience that convicts us of the reality of our sin. But here's the flip side of that. We also have a sinful nature that wants to acquit us of that sin by ignoring our guilt. See, we're all good at declaring our innocence by applying our own standard. But it is a self-righteous judgment that ignores the reality of our sin. So Paul then turns from those who don't have the law to those who do have the law. These are the Jews. And he says, you're just as guilty. Because the law was never intended to be a list of rules that leads to a life of salvation. The purpose of the law from the very beginning was intended to reveal the reality of sin. We see that in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, where the author says, The law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have, they, they not, Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, in the law, there is a reminder of sins, the reality of an ongoing reality of sin, year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. If we ever use the law, any list of rules to justify ourselves, we only do so selectively. Just like those who don't have the law, we just create our own standard to support our innocence. Either way, we're choosing to play God, and we become both the judge and the jury. But Paul wants us to know, we are not the judge who will have the final decision. He says, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. And that last part is really, really important. So please don't miss this. 
because based on everything that Paul has been saying, it is crystal clear that we stand apart from Christ, uh, alone in our own sin before God, we are judged guilty and eternally separated from a life-giving relationship with Him. That's the reality. No one is righteous. Not even one. But Paul is saying here that our hearts will be judged based on what Christ has done. In other words, our standing before God is based on what we believe about Jesus. And and the question is, do you believe that the sacrifice he made was sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins? We'll get to this later in our study, but I think it's really helpful here. So flip over a couple of pages in your Bible to Romans chapter 3 and begin reading with me in verse 23 where Paul writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift of his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation or an atonement in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be, not us, he would be, the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, verse 23 establishes what Paul has been talking about in our passage. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all stand guilty before the throne of judgment. But knowing this truth, knowing the reality of universal sin within the hearts of all mankind, the total depravity of who we are apart from Christ, God provided a solution. It says God publicly displayed Jesus as the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. In other words, God declared by his authority that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to forgive our sins. Because, here's why, on the cross, God placed the punishment that we deserved upon Jesus Christ. He took our judgment so that we could receive and be declared righteous. Apart from Christ, we stand alone in our sin and live eternally separated from a life-giving relationship with God. But if we are judged through Jesus Christ and our sincere faith in him, then our sins are removed. The way Paul writes it to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. And I think this takes us right back to that key passage that we looked at earlier in verse 4, where it talks about the kindness of God leading us to a place of repentance. This is where we look at the cross, just like we did this morning when Brian led us in our deserve that. I deserve eternal separation. I am condemned by my sin. But God's kindness steps in and says, yes, that's true. But here's my gift to you. And our repentance is not out of fear of God's judgments. It's in gratitude of God's grace because of the gift that he has given to us of no merit on our own. 
God is always most gentle with those who are most humble and most honest about their sin. See, he's so hard on the self-righteous because they simply don't see their need for a savior. They're judgmental towards others in order to justify their own innocence. But here's the deal. And if you've ever fallen in this category, and I'll just tell you, I certainly have, judgmental people are miserable people because they have not learned to live in the freedom of God's forgiveness and grace. Mark my word, the most gracious people you will ever meet in your life are the people who are most honest about their sin. So let me repeat something that I said in the beginning, and it's really important to take home. We need to diligently pursue profound honesty with God and humble transparency with one another. Only then will we live in the freedom of his forgiveness and grace. So one of the things that I would encourage you to consider this week is sit down with somebody and be totally honest with them. We're great fakers. How are you? Great. How are things going? Good. Everything's perfect. And in reality, we know that's not true. So tell somebody it's not true. Tell them the things that you're struggling with, the things that have you worried, the things that have you concerned, and be humble and honest about where God is at work drawing you to himself in places where you struggle. Be diligent to pursue profound honesty with God and humble transparency with others. That's where lasting healing and life transformation ultimately takes place. Amen? Let me pray and then let's uh, sing together as we finish up this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we continue early here in Romans, we thank you for your word being completely honest with us, completely honest about the reality of our sin and how we fall short of a life-giving relationship with you because of that sin. It's, it's a chasm between us. The Lord, thank you. Thank you for continuing to remind us that your kindness is what draws us to repentance because you offered a solution for our sins that we didn't deserve, but because you loved us. You sent Christ to die for us so that he would take the punishment that, that we deserved upon himself. But Lord, we want to continue to be a people of confession. Christians are people of confession. People who recognize by the conviction of the Spirit that we still fall short, but we always have a Savior who draws us into a life of faithful obedience, not out of a fear of judgment, but out of a gratitude for grace. It's how we come to faith, and it's ultimately how we live by faith. So may we sing of that joyfully this morning as we close. Amen. Please stand. That's good news, isn't it? Our sins there are many, but His mercy is more. That, that could have been my sermon this morning right there. That's good news. Hey, just logistically so you'll know, Jeff and his family are going to be at the Corn Mesa night. So if you were looking for a reason of whether you should go or not, please come and spend some time getting to know them and hanging out uh, just in a fun, relaxing environment. So let me pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, we are grateful for our time together. We are thankful for your grace that you have lavished upon us. Our sins, they are many, but your mercy is more. Praise the Lord. Amen. Have a great day.